I would assume that most of those who are joining us who listen to uh, this podcast or watch us on uh, social media, I would assume that most of you, if not all of you, are Christians. You are believers in Jesus Christ. If you are not, we're glad you're with us and uh, uh, would love to talk to you more and uh, maybe... Uh, persuade you to be to join us as Christians. But for those of us who are believers, uh, we are believers because we believe the gospel. We believe the message of Jesus Christ. But my question is, do we understand what the gospel calls us to? Or do we sometimes settle into this idea that we are saved? We like to use that terminology, right? We are saved And someday we're going to go to heaven. And in between, we're just trying to be decent people and get along and uh, and not make too many mistakes. And then someday it's all going to be great. But this in-between period is just sort of of living, existing, uh, putting up with, tolerating uh, hard things. And, And we talk about being in the battle. Uh, you know, pastors talk about this, teachers, we, we see in the scripture about uh, wrestling, fighting, engaging, those kind of things. But I'm not sure we always grasp the intensity of that or what that's really talking about. Well, today, the Apostle Paul is going to give us some instruction on what the gospel calls us to and the fight that we are really in. So that's what we're going to talk about. Welcome, everybody. Good morning, Carol and Jenny and Sherry. Hey, Sherry, I'm glad you got on. I saw your your comment that uh, you had to watch the last couple on replay because you uh, didn't get here in time. Well, I'm glad you made it on uh, YouTube, which uh, looks like that's the platform you're on. You can set a reminder. So most evenings, I will uh, schedule the next live that's coming up, and you can set a reminder to uh, to send you a little note. So glad you made it with us. Good morning, Curtis. And for everyone else who is with us, we are happy to have you. If you are newer, my name is Doug, and uh, we teach the Bible. We go through the, the scriptures Monday through Friday right here, 730 a.m. Mountain Time, uh, because we need to know the Word. Maybe like no other age in church history, we need to know the word. And uh, as I just said, know what we're fighting up against. So glad you're here. Good morning, Karen. Glad you're with us as well. Today's a good day. It's Monday. I mean, it's a good day. We had a Lord's Day. We worshiped together. We celebrated. We, we were refreshed and encouraged. And today we enter the battle. And it's a good day to be entering the battle. So let's declare together that this day is good and why it is. So this is the day. The Lord has made, and you say, we will rejoice and be glad in it. And if you brought your coffee, let's taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, I don't know, do any of you actually drink coffee with me in the morning? Am I the only one that drinks coffee? Let me know in the chat there if you you drink coffee and uh, taste and see the Lord is good. All right, so we are continuing on with uh, our study of Philippians. We're going to close out chapter one today. And uh, it's a, it's, it's a powerful, it's a, it, it packs a punch. Um, well, let's just get into it. I'll show you what I mean. So the apostle says this in verse 27 of Philippians 1. Only, and that's a significant term. He's saying only this. This is the thing I want you to catch right now. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, let's just pause there for a minute. Uh, This word conduct yourselves, it means uh, to live as free citizens. Remember, Paul is writing this from prison, right? He's in chains, 
probably in Rome, for the cause of Christ. He's writing to the Philippians who are not currently in prison. And he is saying, conduct yourselves, live as free people. You're not bound like I am. You are free. So live your free life. Conduct yourselves. But he has a, a call, a specific charge there in how we are to live as free citizens. Live worthy of the gospel. Now, let me ask you a question. When you think about the gospel, when you think about the good news of Jesus Christ, that message that we believe, it's what defines us as Christians, it what, what, uh, what the Lord used to give you new birth, right? The, the, the gospel, Paul says to the Romans, is the power of God for salvation. It's, it's the means God uses as, as his spirit opened your eyes to believe the gospel. Do you ever consider that it is something that is to be lived worthy of? It places a call on our lives. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's just remind ourselves of what the gospel is at, at, at its root. It is the message that Jesus is the Son of God, that he was born of the Virgin Mary. We celebrate that at Christmas time. Uh, that, that he is the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. He is the, the perfect, holy Son of God. He never disobeyed God a single time in his entire life. And yet God punished him as though he was a sinner. Well, why would he do that? Because all of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, God takes our sin and puts it to the account of Jesus. So as Jesus was hanging on that cross, God looked at him as though he were you and as though he were me. So he punishes our sin in Jesus. And when we put our faith in him, we receive Jesus's righteousness, his, his perfect obedience to the law, to God's commands. We receive that righteousness. And so now on judgment day, which is coming and everybody will stand before God at judgment, we are righteous and holy in God's sight. That's the, the heart of the gospel, right? That's the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus died. He rose again. We believe that. And that's what we're, we're saved. We are forgiven we are righteous, we are holy, all of those things. Well, when we believe that, and when we declare that to the world, which is what we're supposed to do, right? We are supposed to tell others about Jesus. When we do that, what are we saying to those people? If you have a neighbor who is an unbeliever, and you talk to him about Jesus, when you get to the gospel, what do you have to say to him? What you have to say to him, you, my friend, are a sinner like I am. And you stand under the wrath of God. He is angry at you because of your sin, because of your disobedience. And there is only one way for you to be forgiven by God, and that is to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus. So when we preach the gospel, we're telling people they are sinners, and they can't save themselves. They can't do enough good things to make up for their sins. Well, people don't generally like to be told that they're helpless and that they're an enemy of God. So in one sense, living worthy of the gospel is to 
acknowledge our sin and to expose the sin of others. And people don't like that. So part of living worthy is living in that hope and that truth and not shying away from it. Every church, every pastor is tempted to shy away. Every Christian who seeks to preach the gospel is tempted. We are tempted to pull back because we don't like to make people uncomfortable. We don't like the backlash we may get. They're going to call us arrogant, call us bigoted, uh, call us exclusivists. Who knows, right? All kinds of things because we're saying, yeah, you're a sinner. I mean, it's one thing for me to admit I'm a sinner. You know, any, any of us, most people will say, yeah, I'm not perfect. I get it. I've done some things I regret. I've done some things I, I shouldn't have done. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll sort of admit that to ourselves. But when somebody else says you're a sinner and you stand before a holy God who sees it all and is going to judge you, unbelievers don't like that. And so part of walking worthy of the gospel is to hold fast to that truth and not waver from it. But another part is the gospel does not simply stop with the death and resurrection of Jesus. That, that tends to be where we stop, but that's not where the gospel stops. Uh, do you remember uh, that Jesus, on more than one occasion, tied together the gospel with the kingdom? Let me show you. Let me show you a few of these. In uh, Matthew 4, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. See that? The gospel of the kingdom. Matthew 9, Jesus was going through all their cities and villages, similar phrasing, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew 24, the gospel or this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Mark 1, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Do you see that tie-in? Believe the gospel because the kingdom of God is at hand, and so on. So when we preach the gospel, if we're going to preach the, the full gospel, the complete gospel, we're also calling people to bow the knee to their king. So not only do the people have to admit they are a sinner, but they have to acknowledge there is a king who is now ruling over their life, a king who is their master. That's why we call him Lord. We've talked about this, right? The same word that is translated Lord is translated master. It's going to be very important in chapter two. And so we call people to bow the knee and submit to a king and say, if you become a Christian, then you don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to Jesus. He bought you. Remember we talked about that? Paul calling himself a slave. Well, when we preach the gospel, we are telling people, you are now going to be enslaved to Jesus, your king. And when he gives commands, you have to obey them. It's not optional. You don't get to live your own life. You don't get to pursue your dreams and your goals and objectives. You have to pursue his goals and objectives because he's the king. He's the king of the universe. And what do selfish, unrepentant, prideful people do when you tell them you're, you don't belong to yourself? You have to submit to somebody else. They say, no, thank you. Or worse, those are fighting words and, and they are on the attack. All right? So living worthy of the gospel is to preach the whole gospel, uh, to acknowledge Jesus as Lord and King and his kingdom 
is at hand. So Paul says, when you do that, when you live worthy of the gospel, you are going to make enemies. Let me show you. Live worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you, so he wants to go see them. And remember, we saw last Friday that he thinks he is going to be released from prison and come see them. Whether I come and see you or I remain absent, either way, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit and with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Striving. This is a word. This word striving is a word that connotes battle fighting, contention. And look what he says in the next verse. In no way alarmed by your opponents. We have opponents. We have enemies. If we stand for the gospel, if we preach it, the whole thing, the complete gospel, if we walk worthy of the gospel, we will make enemies. And we are to stand firm together, one spirit and one mind, he says, be united in our pursuit of the gospel truth and communicating it, and that's going to provoke enemies. Who are the enemies that we are facing right now? Now, there's a, there's a passage that may have come to your mind that Paul writes to the Ephesians, and he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, right? We get wrestle against principalities and powers, and, and we often interpret that to mean we should never look at humans as enemies. It's only the spiritual realm. But that's not exactly what's, what Paul is getting at. How does this spiritual realm fight against the church? Through human beings. It's just that it's not, it doesn't stop with the humans that are trying to destroy the church. There's someone, there's a power behind those men and women. What we want to do is we want to uh, convert our human enemies, right? We want to preach the gospel and see them come from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But as long as they're in the kingdom of darkness, we need to be wise and, and not naive. They are fighting against us. So what? who are our enemies right now? Who is fighting against us? Well, uh, I would say, well, let me, let me, before I give you the answer, let me, let me call, uh, raise a question here. Uh, by the way, I'm, uh, somebody's responding. I've already, Curtis says he's already had a second cup of coffee by this time. That's great. Well, you can drink and taste and see, right? Karen says she has coffee. Carol, uh, Carol's already had her coffee. Um, Martha, glad you're with us. Good morning, Josh. Um, do you look at people who disagree with you as your enemy? I think sometimes we, we fall into that trap as, as believers, just anybody who disagrees with us. And, and that happens within the body of Christ, doesn't it? Uh, we, we know there are people who hold to some doctrinal positions differently than we do. You know, let's take baptism as a, as a simple case. It's easy to look at those who disagree with us on some of those things as our enemies. They're not our enemies. We disagree. And we need to continue to sharpen each other and wrestle through these things because in something like baptism, somebody's wrong, right? When it comes to infant baptism, believer's baptism, somebody's wrong about that. And it is a significant deal. So we shouldn't just blow it off and say, oh, you know, no big deal. But they're not our enemies simply because they interpret some things in the Bible differently from what we do. How do we determine who our opponents are? Well, who can hurt you? I mean, physically hurt you. Who is actively trying to 
shut our mouths. I mean, that's, that's what Paul is getting at. He's in prison as he writes this letter to the Philippians because the opponents who are primarily the Jewish people, the, the Jewish leaders, they're his opponents. And they're not simply disagreeing with him. They're not engaging in, in theological or religious debate. This is not like Paul, you know, went and, and talked to Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons or Buddhists and said, hey, you have your religion, we have our religion. We think you're wrong and, and we want to try to persuade you of ours and, and let's, you know, have this, this time of formal debate and, and whatever. And um, Paul kind of did that in Acts 17 with uh, the, the Greeks at the Areopagus. And he didn't consider them enemies. He said, you have all these idols, all these false gods, and there's one there to the unknown God. Let me tell you about the God you don't know. He tried to persuade them. And the church at Philippi, uh, that started with him persuading people of, of the gospel. He didn't look at, at unbelievers as his enemy, and he didn't, believe, didn't look at people who disagreed with him as his enemy. Who are the opponents? Who are the enemies? They're the ones who want to crush our voice, who want to shut down our speech, and who have the power to do so. I think it's very important as we begin to formulate who our enemies are, who the opponents are that we're striving against. It's people who can shut us down. Not just people who disagree with us on Facebook or whatever. People can cause us harm. So today, maybe the biggest enemy we face, at least here in the U.S., and I know we have some some listeners in other parts of the world that may or may not be, excuse me, the same there. But for us, it's the political left. And what, one of the things they want to do to shut us up is to say, oh, you're making this political. <clears throat> well, I'm not making this political. I'm not arguing. I'm not trying to say, <coughs> excuse me. I'm not trying to say that this is a battle between the political left and the political right. I'm saying the political left has self-consciously set themselves up against the truth of Jesus Christ. The whole platform that they uphold is seeking to destroy us. And this goes way back. That The root of this here in the U.S., and and this maybe political left is not even the right way to say it, but it's it's what we call the left. We are fighting, and, and our opponents are those who believe in evolution. That's where it all starts. That is, that gives unbelievers the in their minds at least, the evolutionary and scientific backing, the foundation to be, be rid of God. And Christians have, have, we've sort of stopped fighting evolution. We, 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 we sort of, I don't, know, we, I don't know if we're tired of it, if we think we can't win, if we've just decided it's not a big deal, but that's where it all starts. We, we've got to be careful and never let go of the truth of God the Creator, and the heinousness of believing this nonsensical, irrational, unscientific theory called evolution. Out of evolution flows egalitarianism. And that's not simply the male-female thing, but this whole push that we're seeing to eliminate all hierarchies and all differences that flows right out of evolution. We gotta, we've got to destroy that there are that are some who are better than others at, at, at things, better skilled. Uh, they want to eliminate all of that. Certainly hierarchies of, of a husband being the head of his wife, 
The idea of a wife submitting is anathema to them. Children obeying their parents, that's anathema. The differences of the sexes, that's anathema. All of that. <clears throat> that coupled with uh, Marxist theory, and they are doing everything they can to shut our voices. Now, I want you, and, and I you know I've talked about this before, but some of you may be newer, and we just need to keep being reminded of this. I want you to realize I'm not speaking simply politically here. This is not about politics. The cultural Marxist agenda, which includes Black Lives Matter and uh, the left wing of, of politics and you know, all of this, they are self-consciously trying to destroy Western civilization and they understand that what ties together Western civilization is Christianity. Now they don't, they see this, they see knocking us out as a means to their end. So it's not simply about Christianity. It's about wanting to bring in the socialist agenda, but to do so, they've got to destroy the church. That's why we have to fight. This is one of the, this is, this is the big ideology of our day that Paul would say is we have to knock down, right? We're, we're, we're taking these thoughts captive, these thoughts that are trying to destroy us. And a lot of Christians, we're naive, we're naive about this or we're, we're scared and forget and, and don't realize that we, we have to stand for the truth. That's what he said. Did you, did you notice? That's what he said. Stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. What that means is we don't back down. We don't stop from proclaiming the gospel of the cross and the crown. That's why my ministry here is called Cross to Crown Ministries. Way back when we started this, it's, it begins with the cross of Jesus and continues to his crown. He's the king overall, and we have to stand together. You and I have to stand together and fight against the lies and the ideologies that resist this. We have to be unified in this. Well, how do we do that? Well, we, we use our words. We proclaim truth. We believe truth. Um, and, and we practice truth. We conduct ourselves as free people worthy of the gospel. That means we get married and a, a husband take a husband takes a wife and we don't open the door even for a second to same-sex marriage and sexual sin. We say, no, it's uh, sex is reserved for a husband and his wife. The man is the head of his wife. The wife is to submit to her husband. Parents are in charge of their children. Children are to obey their parents. Uh, we stand for... All, all the biblical teaching, all the commands of Christ, right? That's the Great Commission. Go disciple the nations, calling all of them to submit to the kingship of Christ. Uh, all, all of the things, we, we, we stand firm in these things and united in these things. And when we do so, we are going to raise the ire of those who have the power and want to use it to shut us down whether it's censorship on social media, the government wanting to stifle and quiet our voices to, to force us into the corner and say, okay, in, in your church services on Sunday morning, feel free to believe whatever you want to, say whatever you want to, but leave it there in your buildings. When you come out in the real world, when you come out in the public marketplace, when you go to work, when you're on social media, when you're talking to people, you can't have those differences. That's what they want to do. They want to say, we'll give you the privacy of your own home and your, and your church buildings, but you can't say it out here. And we say, no, we, we have to say it out here because Jesus is king of out here. 
his kingdom is at hand, his kingdom has come, and we are praying and actively pursuing that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so I'm calling you to bow the knee to Jesus. That's what we have to tell the world. And when we do that, when they have the power of the sword and taxation and cancel culture and all those things, they want to use that. We have opponents. And the apostle here calls us to walk worthy of the gospel, standing firm together in one mind, one spirit, resisting those who fight against us. And not to be afraid. Did you see that? Verse 28, and in no way alarmed or frightened by your opponents. Do you live in fear? Are you afraid of what the government can do to us? Are you afraid of what your boss can do to you? We must not live in fear. Now, that doesn't mean we will avoid harm. As he'll go on to say, we're, we're, we may experience harm. But we, we must not live in fear. In fact, we must stand together and be joyful. And by doing that, notice what he says. This, standing without fear, cheerful, joyful, This is a book, Philippians, about joy. This is a sign, he says, of destruction for them, for our opponents, but a sign of salvation for you. Does that seem odd to you? When we stand unafraid, this is a sign of destruction for our opponents and a sign of salvation. What in the world does that mean? Well, if you've uh, played sports, if you've ever been on a team, and I suppose this is true in some individual sports as well, but especially in a team sport, if you've ever played on a team when things are just really clicking, okay, when you guys, uh, as, a, as a team, you've worked hard and you know your stuff, right? You've practiced well, you know the plays, you, you know what you're trying to achieve, and, and it all comes together and you have a, a really uh, strong set of gifted athletes, and you're just winning. You are winning and, and you know, you know you're better than the other team. And then when you start having fun, when there's kind of a lightheartedness, you're serious. And when it comes time to practice, you know, you're, you're focused. And at the game time, you're, you're pumped up and you're ready to go. But yet on the sidelines, you're, you're kind of joking and in between plays, you're joking. And, and before and after practice, people are hanging out together and, and really having a great time and, and building that community. And there's just a, a sense of unity and joy. You can sense it as a team. Like we are really hard to beat. And the other team can sense it as well. When you know that they are Uh, better athletes than you, and they've got a winning streak, and then you see them having a great time, it's demoralizing. I think that's kind of what Paul is getting at here. When we are unafraid, when we stand together, you and me and all unbelievers, we stand against uh, the enemies who are trying to shut us down and threatening us. We stand in unity, we're cheerful, we, we get up on Sunday morning and we sing and, and we start every morning with this is a good day and we taste and see that the Lord is good and we go about our day joyful and hopeful for anybody who wants to crush us, that's a sign to them you're going to lose because we're walking in the joy of the Lord. We're confident, not in ourselves, but in Christ, our King. 
And that says to them, you are going to lose, and we all know it. Everybody knows it. I know it, and you know it. And it says to us, the team on on Jesus' side, we're going to win. We know. It's just a matter of time. I can't wait to the next play because it's going to succeed. Oh, they may stop us a little bit here. They may stop us a little bit there. But at the end of the day, we know we're getting in the end zone. We know we're going to win because our coach happens to be the ruler of the universe. And he's already told us we're going to win. That cheerfulness, that joy, that hopefulness and fearlessness strikes terror in our enemies. That's what he says. I see a couple comments here. Let me uh, take a look at this before we wrap it up. Uh, Curtis here says, uh, I have some family at this current time actively telling our 16-year-old son that we are uh, religious. Currently, we have a family member trying to tell us we are religious nuts and actively warning uh, against us. Says this to me is an enemy uh, at this current time. Uh, yeah, I can see that. Maybe they don't have you know the ability to throw you in jail or cost you your job, um, but they seem to be actively really trying to oppose you. I, I can see that. Josh here asked the question. So, what is the context of turn the other cheek? Um, boy, can I answer that quickly? Um, you know what? I'm going to. I don't know if I can answer that quickly. Uh, and I'm trying to figure out what is it that, what's behind the question. Uh, I'm not saying we are to to pick a fight with them in terms of uh, up taking up arms. Uh, and the turn the other cheek context is um, the the Roman soldiers had the right to just enlist. Well. Uh, the whole Sermon of the Mount here. <laughs> so I'm trying, to, trying to think if I should even try to get into this. They could enlist, and that's what he says, go the other mile. Uh, if someone slaps you on the cheek in that culture, whether it was Roman or a Jew, it, it was very uh, demeaning and demoralizing. And he's saying there, yeah, don't fight back with violence, but I'm not talking about, and Paul's not talking about fighting back with violence. He, we, we fight back with proclaiming truth and joyfully so. So that's that's probably too quick of an answer, but uh, without getting, taking the time to dive into the Sermon on the Mount, uh, I'm, I'm not going to give any further than that. Good question, though. Sherry here says, uh, I had listened to a talk by Greg Beal on Zeitgeist. Yeah, Zeitgeist. Uh, Martha, what's Zeitgeist? Martha is our uh, resident German expert. See if she could give us a quick definition of zeitgeist. And I'll, I'll come back to that in a moment uh, as we wrap up. And I realize where we are in time. So let me, uh, let me try to bring this to some semblance of, of conclusion here. So Paul says, don't be alarmed. It's a sign. But you are going to, you are going to suffer. You're, you're going you're gonna to have opponents and they're going to fight. Because verse 29, great promise, right? For to you, it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. You realize that suffering is promised to us. If we walk worthy of the gospel, if we stand for truth, it's going to cost us. We will make enemies who will want to hurt us. That's the truth. And, and Paul puts it this way. It's been granted it's a gift. It's not usually how we think of persecution, is it? It's a gift to believe in him. That's from God. 
and to suffer. That's from God. It's not an accident. It's not that the enemy is getting the upper hand. God gives us a gift of suffering. Jesus said this himself, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. You are blessed. It's not fun. It's not happy in that sense. It's not something we look forward to and and find it pleasant, but it's a blessing. It's a gift. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you endure trials of every kind, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. That's to be our attitude. We stand, we, we stand unified, walking worthy. We make enemies. That's a gift from God. And we are to stand in that. Uh, yes, very good. I knew Martha would come through. Zeitgeist, the spirit of the time. It's almost what we would call a worldview today. The spirit of the age, spirit of the time, the lens through which people are looking Uh, at the world. The zeitgeist of our day is evolutionary, Marxist, and they want to destroy the church. And we have to proclaim the truth in that culture and know that we are going to make some enemies along the way. And we do it joyfully, we do it fearfully, and we do it united. Right now, we need to continue to strive together. I mean, that's not even the word I want to choose. We need to wrestle. <laughs> I don't want to use a, a fighting term for this. We need to spur one another on to love and good deeds. We need to uh, sharpen each other when it comes to doctrinal things. You know, we, we need to hold fast to doctrinal truths and, and continue to study together. And in that sense, debate one another in the body of Christ. It's good. We, we can't just say truth doesn't matter, even those secondary and tertiary truths. But our real battle, our real fight is against those who are opposed to the gospel. A fellow brother or sister is not opposed to the gospel. Now, I, there's a whole other category, right? There are those who are in the church, but they're wolves. There are those who claim to be Christians who are undermining the gospel. That's another. Paul will get there and we'll deal with that. But right now... This, this passage is not talking about those who are within the church. These are those who are outside the church. So these are unbelievers, those with an agenda to shut the mouths of, the go- of those who pre- preach the gospel. And we need to be unified with one another, one mind, one spirit, and cheerfully, fearfully preach truth and stand firm in the truth. So brother and sister, today it's Monday. We're in the battle. You have enemies. Stand firm, walk worthy of the gospel. And be joyful and be cheerful. And when there's opposition, rejoice in that. It's a gift of God for you. He counts you worthy of suffering for his namesake. And tomorrow, we will talk about our attitude toward one another in the midst of this fight. And that too will be humbling. Thanks for being with us. God bless. Grace and peace to you. Have a great day in the Lord and we will see you tomorrow morning.